Hi, this is Ann Cavera, and welcome to this week's episode of Speeding Past 80. Today's episode is called In Honor of Broken Things. I borrowed the title from a middle-grade novel I will review near the end of today's podcast. If you're looking for a book for a child ages 8 through 12, In Honor of Broken Things by Paul Akampura is a great choice. First, here's our story for today. I spent the summer of 1964 working at Callaway Gardens. This is a wonderful resort in southern Georgia. Well, when summer ended, so did my job. I needed full-time work and fast. I heard of an opening for a sixth-grade teacher in a small town nearby. Never mind that I had just finished my teaching degree in May. I'd never taught before. Never mind I had hoped for a second- or third-grade class. Cute little kids. Oh, well, a sixth-grade class? How hard could it be? An elderly teacher in a house a block from school rented me a room. I settled in for a nice, quiet year while I tried to learn how to do this teaching thing. Well, the first thing that happened was within a week or so, the only other elementary school in town burned to the ground. Their teachers and students would be moving in with us while the other school was rebuilt. Our kids started the day very early, I think sometime around 7 a.m., We dismissed a little after lunch. The other students and teachers took over in the afternoon. Meanwhile, remember, this is 1964, and teaching has really, really come a long way since then. I think we're more sensitive to students and who they really are today than we were 50 years ago. Back then, the powers that be decided that since I was new, they would let me have what they had labeled as all the slow students. Yes, they were going to let me have all the students that didn't fit in anywhere else. I soon realized labels and expectations never apply to a classroom full of middle grade kids, no matter what other people might say to lump them together. Ned wasn't slow, no matter what people said. He had trouble reading lips, even though he had hearing aids in both ears. Linda's only claim to the slow label seemed to be that she was a little heavier than most of the other kids. Then there was Beth, a sweet child who had a little trouble spelling. When the weather turned cold in November, Beth walked in every day with no jacket or coat. I imagine she came from a very poor home. I even visualized dogs tied up in the yard. One day, without calling, I walked to Beth's house and knocked on the door. I was right about the house. It was of humble means, but with no dogs tied in the yard. Beth's mom opened the door. She smiled and said, Come on in. I just finished cleaning. The simple house had little inside, but the floor had been swept, windows washed, and the few pieces of furniture were freshly dusted. The mom explained that They had what they needed, but Beth had grown tall so fast she had outgrown her coat, and they could not afford a new one just yet. I left thinking of ways our community could get Beth a coat. I also left thinking about how my expectations had been nothing like the child's reality. 
Carol made consistent C's because she never finished any of her tests. Her mother explained that she knew the material. She just needed more time to write her answers. When she had as much time as she needed, her scores improved drastically. Becky sat in the front row, right in front of my desk. She was pale, thin, shy. One morning between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Becky didn't come to school. The local paper ran the story with every grim detail. Becky's father had shot and killed her mother right in front of Becky. After a few days, Becky returned to school, grief-stricken, gaunt, even quieter than before. Christmas break came with mercy a few weeks later. Just after New Year, Dennis hauled his family's dried-out tree to the curb, doused it with kerosene, and threw a match. His brother saved his life by rolling him in the dirt. I saw Dennis in the hospital with his hands and face covered with bandages. Later, I went to his house to begin helping him make up the work he had missed. Dennis opened the front door. The bandages were gone. I found myself standing inches in front of the horror of what a fire can do to an innocent child's face. Only his familiar grin remained the same. The year was only half over. These children already had my heart. We had bonded into this little family, the slow ones, the ones touched by such deep tragedy. That spring, we slowly bounced back. We tried harder. We had medieval days with questions and answers for jousting in tournaments. We made field trips. We had dramatic readings, with one student in particular reading with great force and emotion. He was so good at reading angry, hysterical words that one day the principal burst into our room ready to save me or the student. I made so many mistakes along the way. But a room full of discards who have always been labeled slow can be a very forgiving bunch. I love those kids. But the stress took its toll. I was still young. I wanted to see the world. So when the Peace Corps called that spring without a second thought, I said yes, even though I had never heard of a place called Liberia. After all, a school in a sleepy little village in Africa, how hard could that be? A few months later, in a classroom in Liberia, reality dawned. The children I faced were bright, eager to learn, and resilient. They were also desperately hungry, suffering from infections I'd never heard of, and they were often on their own. By middle grade, only one or two girls remained in the classes. The rest had become young mothers. The reality is every middle school classroom is filled with children who are mislabeled, who are victims bearing pain often from unspeakable tragedies. Those same children are also full of potential, hoping against hope they will find a way to realize hidden dreams. Middle school classrooms in sleepy towns in Georgia and Liberia are not so different. Any middle school classroom anywhere is one of the most exhilarating, dangerous, heart-stopping places on earth to be. 
You see, I think the future of the world does not rest in the hands of old men bloated with power or even in the hands of young college graduates. The future of the world will be determined by today's middle school students, who are often already carrying adult burdens on their innocent shoulders. At the same time, they see what's been done to the world, and they're not really ready to take advice from us. So what can parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles offer? Please consider giving them a book that will speak to their heart and mind. One book that I think would make an excellent gift for any middle grade student is Paul Akumpura's In Honor of Broken Things. When the book opens, Oscar has just lost his younger sister Carmen to cancer. He's an up-and-coming star football player and has hopes his skill will lift his family out of poverty. And then there's Noah, a skinny little kid whose parents have been through a nasty divorce. He's been homeschooled all his life. Noah has decided to make a new beginning by attending public school. He's also trying to keep his mom's online pottery business going while he deals with her depression. And Riley. Riley. After being robbed at gunpoint in Philadelphia, Riley's mother promptly packed up and moved both of them back to the tiny coal mining town of West Beacon. In Honor of Broken Things is told through three different first-person points of view. Through each point of view, we enter the heart and mind of Oscar, Riley, and Noah. Oscar's all heart, and at the moment, his heart is crushed. Noah is all mind, and he thinks his way through problems. Riley stands off to the side, observing and waiting for things to be the way they were. All three kids are dealing with situations over which they have no control. All three find themselves thrown together in a pottery class at West Beacon Junior Senior High School, and here they mold a very unlikely friendship. Akampora has created a sporting cast of interesting characters, like the skinny white art teacher who teaches with heart, yet he makes so many mistakes, and Coach Moyer, who says things like, it's already tomorrow in Australia, and they're doing just fine without you. I appreciate most Father Pete, the pastor of St. Barbara's Church. He's also Riley's uncle. I once heard an author who's published many books say, we've left the spiritual out of children's books. It's time to bring that back. As a Christian, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm grateful when authors include people of faith who are caring and well-balanced, though they turn out to be struggling people just like the rest of us. The author treats all of his cast of characters with humor, respect, and empathy for what they are facing and with insight into who they might become. In Honor of Broken Things gives middle grade readers a window into what happens when life makes decisions for us and our deepest dreams are crushed. What happens when the people we count on turn out not to be the people we need them to be? It's written for middle grade students who quietly, heroically, face life-changing situations over which they have absolutely no control. It's about unlikely friends who find the strength to begin, as Akampura says, again and again and again. The author is Paul Akampura. It's spelled A-C-A-M-P-O-R-A. 
The book is In Honor of Broken Things, published this year by Dial Books for Young Readers. Also, if you're looking for stories of faith, hope, love, and laughter, consider Grounded in God from Liguori Press. It's by my husband, Jim Cabrera, and me, Ann Cabrera. Thanks for joining us. We'll be here next week with another episode of Speeding Past 80. 